Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now this podcast contains adult content Some of the themes or topics may include information on murder, kidnapping, torture, dismemberment, maybe some demonic content with information on positions and paranormal activity. This podcast will also include explicit, horrible and foul, socially unacceptable, totally uninhibited adult themes language. So if you're easily offended, if you're easily triggered, then I highly suggest you turn this off now. And if not, just keep in mind, parental discretion is advised. All right, everybody, welcome to Mysterious Circumstances Podcast. We have a fun one for you today, and we also have an international one for you today. How this episode all came about is I have a really big listener base in Sweden, so I wanted to do an episode for them. So I started digging around for cases, you know, that might be unsolved or whatnot over there. And as as much joy as I found, I realized I realized that there's not too much information on unsolved cases that wasn't in Swedish. Sometimes Google Translate isn't the best, but basically I came across this case and it's a it's an unsolved murder in Kalmark, but it's really weird because there was a guy convicted for this and he did 13 years. And as it turns out a podcast was actually used in court as evidence to have his conviction overturned. And I'm pretty sure it was the first time in Sweden, I know for sure, but it might be the first time anywhere for that matter that has happened in the court of law. It's truly an interesting case. And I'm happy the man named Kajlina was released, you know, because of the wrongful conviction. But at the end of the day, that still leaves us an unsolved murder. So in order to help, I have a couple of friends over there and I called up my buddy Jonas and I'm like, Hey, you know, you want to help me look into this a little bit, maybe translate some stuff for me. There's a lot of questions that are unanswered for me personally, as I started getting into it, there's some weird stuff going on with law enforcement. There's some weird stuff going on with the investigation, weird stuff with evidence. And, uh, you know, without further ado, I guess I'll I'll introduce my buddy Jonas, and we can kind of go from there, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, it's a pleasure to be on with you, Justin. Um, big listening to your podcast, and it's uh, it's an honor to 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 co-host this with you. And yeah, I'm a former journalist, mostly in in other areas than, than true crime or or for convictions. But I've been looking into this case with you, and it, it's it's a weird one, but. Yeah, they did a great job on the podcast. Um, two guys, Anton Martin, deserves all the credit for, for the work that they did. And they left us with an interesting question about who, who actually done it. Yeah, and what they what they did is honestly remarkable. It really is. And obviously, I can't listen to the podcast because it's in, it's in Swedish. <laughs> but, you know, like you've told me about it. And, you know, hopefully they decide to do one in English because this right here, is is pretty much the the serial of Sweden, except it's the serial that actually worked. Yeah, <laughs> it, it actually got somebody uh, released from prison with the evidence that they found, and 
I mean, we're we're honestly missing out on a great podcast right here because those those two guys are are freaking phenomenal. Yeah, they, they they are great, and and they have done a lot of cases now, and and this was the the first one that they did, and they've been going at it ever since, and and always releases very interesting seasons and cases. Definitely, and uh, a lot of my other Swedish friends, I have uh, two of them that I talk to on a regular basis. They're one of them's extremely familiar with this with this podcast, and she's a huge fan of it. Names, well, shout out to Anna, I guess. Might as well do that. Now. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, she she is really really into this podcast just because it's so well presented, and these guys. They only release what six or seven episodes a year, yeah. You know, and they they dedicate their lives to that case, and it's it's truly amazing. It is. So I'm 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 a I'm a big fan of, of their work, and and the, they 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 do do a lot of good things for for people who has has uh, wrongful convictions or other cases that are in question. But that kind of leaves us with with a question in this case, and and nobody has really been able to answer it so far. So. Exactly. And that's, I'm always happy to see, you know, wrongful convictions get overturned, you know, convictions get overturned. Like I said at the beginning, that still leaves the question, who actually murdered this guy and beat his brother within an inch of his life? There's still no answers. So I guess with that, we can, we can kind of get rolling here. This takes place way up in the north of Sweden. And I believe it's up in the Arctic Circle, which way up there. It's it's a little town called Kalamark. Hope I said that right. Um, but yeah, and it's it's not even like a town. It's it's considered a village. Yeah. So we have an extremely low population here, and it's uh, located about twenty three kilometers outside of Pitea. Pitea. And that's a that's a small town as well. Only about twenty three thousand people living there. A bunch of farmers and pretty quiet area for the most part from what i understand the the crime takes place on april 14th 2004 two brothers named suna and roger who are 57 and 59 years old are found by a home nurse they are beaten and bloody roger is found dead outside the house in a barn suna is found inside the house in his bed literally beaten within an inch of his life, but he's still alive. Both have suffered blunt force trauma to the head, and the weapon is said to have been a piece of wood taken from a nearby sawmill. Now, Suna, the surviving brother, he IDs the killer called Bertil, and that's his media name. That's not actually his real name. Now, Roger, he's got tape around his mouth, a lot of tape around his mouth. Like, I believe you had told me it was like a whole roll of tape almost. Basically, it was two different rolls of tape, but it was it was in excess as the as the crime scene report states. Uh, Roger was also found with tape around his mouth, same way in excess, and that is in the police reports because got a lot of information on this case from from Jonas here, so. That that was fun to look through. Yeah, we did but like. I'm glad you. I'm glad, I'm glad you summed it up for me. <laughs> yeah, about 1,300 pages or so. <laughs> it's pretty. It was pretty boring, but you know. It was. I guess now we'll jump into the timeline, and this is from the official police report. On April 14th, at about 7:40 p.m. A witness sees what is presumed to be the killer climbing into the barn through a small window, which uh, Jonas was nice enough to send me some pictures of. And this window is probably a little bit bigger than shoulder width and maybe for the English folks, probably about, I'd want to say maybe two feet across and probably a foot and a half tall. Like it is a small side barn window. About five minutes later at 745, a witness spots a white car parked in the parking spot where the killer probably was parked. The car was also spotted the day before on the 11th. That has not been confirmed to be the same car. 
the car is described as an older white model, probably Japanese made. Now at 8 p.m., the brothers returned to the house after visiting some friends. And at around that time, Roger goes out to feed the animals because, like I'd stated, they were farmers. Suna stays inside. Now at anywhere between 9 and 9.30 p.m., a masked intruder enters Suna's bedroom and asks him, quote, where is the safe? Do you see this? It will be more blood on it. Where is the safe? End quote. And that is a direct quote from Suna as to what happened that night. And then he proceeds to beat Suna, puts a pillow over his face and ties him up. Suna can hear him looking through the house and then he can hear the door close. Now, Suna is not able to call for help. The phone is, is quote-unquote dead, but he does manage to crawl into the kitchen where he is found on April the 16th, which is a couple of days later. Now, at 9.30 p.m., a neighbor spots Roger's car parked in the same spot where the white car was earlier. The key is in the car, doors are unlocked, and there's two different footprints are found around the car. Now, this is the same the same night, correct, that the neighbor spots Roger's car? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Is there any clue to why the neighbor was at the house or was close enough to know, like, he, he was in the car and the doors were unlocked? That's how they found it. I'm, uh, I'm not sure. I haven't seen in, in the file that the neighbor states that the keys was in the car and the doors was unlocked, but uh, okay. that's how they found it later on. So that's, how, how they, that's, that's the theory they've been working with. Here's the evidence that we're working with here. There are no fingerprints at the scene, no DNA. They find the pattern of a shoe, which is first deemed to be probably the same size as Kaj wears, which is Kajlina, who is the guy who was convicted of this crime, did 13 years, and then was later released for wrongful conviction. Now, later on, the crime scene investigator had to come back to court to announce that he misread the chart. So the actual size of the boot was a size 14 in U.S. It'd be a size 48 in metric, and it was not a size 9 U.S., and not a size 43 in metric. Call me crazy, but that's that's a pretty big difference, man. How do you yeah. read the chart that wrong? Uh, yeah, they actually, they, they photocopied the chart, and there was some something left on the chart when they copied, so it changed the 3 to 8. They brought in his landlord, who's Kaj's landlord, who testified that a pair of pants matching what a witness had seen was missing from the house that Kaj rented from her. She later withdrew the statement because the pants were located in the house. So the only thing that tied Kaj to this crime is the testimony of a guy named Nils, who is another witness in this case, and that is found to be enough evidence for a guilty verdict. And one important thing to note here which Jonas can probably shed a little bit more light on, is Sweden doesn't have juries. They have a little different way of doing things. Do you want to kind of shed some light on that a little bit? In, in Sweden, you are not judged by jury of your peers. Uh, you are actually judged by uh, four people who is appointed by your political parties and one judge in, in the first court. If you are found guilty there, you can automatically appeal to what's basically a Supreme Court where it's five judges who will rule on your case and no juries and then no people without any legal training. But that's, that's the biggest difference so that where you don't, you'll, you'll, you'll have two shots and not only one as, as in the U.S. Me and you have talked personally about this. I kind of like the way your guys' legal system works for the most part. Obviously in this, in this particular case, it didn't work out too well, but Say there's three people involved in a crime. One of them commits the murder. There's no, there's no plea agreements involved in in the no. Swedish judicial system. Correct. Correct. Uh, you are not. Uh, you cannot take a plea and reduce your sentence in that way in Sweden, and you cannot uh, reduce your own sentence by 
bring a testif by testifying against the other persons involved in the case. You will still be sentenced for your part in the crime without any reduction of your of your sentence. I'm sorry, but I kind of like that because plea agreements are kind of shit sometimes. You know, I'm not a depending on the circumstances. Usually, somebody gets off with a lot lighter sentence for just the same amount. You know, the same crime or whatever. It's kind of weird how that works. It, it makes it hard to, to solve cases because people are less inclined to testify, but it also provides you with some safety blankets against wrongful convictions. Can you tell how the podcast helped get that conviction overturned a little bit? Oh, yeah. Uh, the thing is, uh, Nils as also a media name and not his actual name. Mm-hmm. He was the, the witness against Kailina. And uh, the podcast really drew into to his his testimony, mm-hmm. and they also also met him met up with him for an interview. And uh, during that interview, he was he changed his story once again, believing that the, they had stopped recording. They did still record on another device, so everything he said was caught on tape. He basically told them the story and. Uh, that was caught on tape when he believed that they had stopped the recording. His initial story is, and this is a complicated story. I just want to give everybody a heads up on it. It's a very complicated one. <laughs> yeah. It is, because it doesn't make any sense. But his story is that Kai told him that he was about to commit this crime. He was about to rob somebody. And Nils figured out that it was the brothers he was going to rob. Then he goes on to claim that the day before the murders, he took Kai in on a car trip uh, where he took Kai to the area where the brothers lived to show Kai that he knew who Kai was talking about and that he could not commit the crime because he was going to get found out. And that is the biggest piece of evidence that the courts used to convict Kai on this, on this crime. And... Uh, it, it's, it's a complicated one, and, and it, the, the, the most complicated part is that this story changes every time he tells it. Times change, various directions change, who was driving the car is hard part to answer. I mean, there's so many things who he keeps changing up. And, and finally, uh, when he did interview with the podcast, he told them that he was actually in Pito to, to buy drugs, and that was a piece of information he had not told in, in court. And that provided more proof that his story was not was not correct. And they brought that recording to to the courts as part of, of his conviction, uh, his appeal, and uh, it got overturned. Now the next witness, in the dubbed by the media as Bertil, I believe that's how you pronounce yeah. it, B E R T I L. Now he also claims to have no knowledge or involvement in the murder claims that the police had the wrong guy and that they instead should talk to Nils. So basically he defers any kind of suspicion away from himself to Nils, who is the other witness in the case. Yeah. And Bertil claims that Nils knows what happened and has some involvement. Bertil is the one who had the most dealings with the two brothers. And here's why. Bertil and Kaj, they had a business to where they were installing safes. Is that correct? He was he was uh, all over the place. He was he was selling safes. He was selling fire extinguishers. They're, so they're kind of in business with the two brothers, kind of. Kaj and Bertil, and Kaj being the one who got convicted of this crime. How Bertil plays into this is him and Kaj had delivered a safe to the brother's house at one point in time. Later on, he would enlist the help of Nils to make a deal with the brothers where they paid him around $15,000 to finish all these dealings with uh, the safe and all this stuff. But Bertil was kind of, uh, like you had mentioned, all over the place. He was selling fire extinguishers. He was delivering and installing safes. He was just kind of a, you know, a guy who picked up work where he could find it. It kind of seems like. 
yeah, it was a little bit of a, of a hustler. He was um, making money wherever he could make money, and he made some a lot of money of the of the brothers. Oh, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. Now, why this safe is important, and why they needed it in their home? Because these these two brothers who were farmers, they were rumored to be extremely wealthy. You know, it's it's kind of a safe assumption if you're getting a, a safe delivered to your home, you're getting it delivered for two reasons. One of them in the U.S. would be a gun safes. I think those actually probably sell a little bit more than anything else, but also to keep money in. I guess that leads us back to some of the things that I noticed in this case. And like me and you had, had talked about previously on a, on a couple of occasions, there's probably only five people in the world who knew there was a safe in that house. And yeah. that would be Suna Lindbergh and Roger Lindbergh, who were the two brothers, Nils, Bertil, and Kaj. Now, Kaj was already proven to not be the killer. So... I guess we should try to narrow it down to Nils and Bertil. You know, Nils keeps changing his story. Bertil is like deflecting a lot of involvement. So that's like one of the first things I kind of go towards, I guess, when is when somebody starts starts deflecting quite a bit. Yeah. So what exactly did the did the authorities question Bertil like any more other than his initial statement of, you know where he deflected or anything like that yeah there, there are a few interviews with Bertil but there are no interviews uh, he's never arrested for the crime and he's basically cleared because so there's a couple phone calls made from his house that night and also that the souvenir cannot identify him when they give him a voice lineup Okay. And that was that was one of the big ones too was the reason I brought up there's only so many people who know there's a safe in the house is because when the people go into the house, when the masked intruder goes in, he asks Suna, where's the safe? You know, tell us where the safe is. So obviously somebody has some pre pre knowledge of where the safe is. Some people like to point out that he asked where is the safe and that that would in some way clear either Bertil and Nils because they knew where the safe was placed. But still, the, the killer knows that there is a safe. And it's not that common in Sweden that you have safes at home. Yeah, and, and this is a rural enough area to where probably not that many neighbors would have seen, you know, a big safe getting dropped off. And not no. to mention the vehicle that they dropped it off in was unmarked. Yeah, it, so, was not, it was not marked with safes or us or anything like that, no. All right. Well, I mean, that's that's pretty interesting. But it's still weird that even though Nils, you know, was pretty much excluded by police, can you help us understand a little bit why he was excluded by police as well, even though his story has changed so many times? Basically, that is phone records, and, and they also pinged his cell phone to another area just located further up to the north of Sweden. Okay. He has, a, he has a lot of traffic in and out on his phone during the night, but they all ping off a, a tower that it's not nowhere near Colomite. Okay. What about Bertil? Like, did they try pinging his cell phone or anything? Uh, yeah. I mean, they pinged it, but it's not active during... Uh, the time of of the crime, and this is this is this is a back in the days where you actually had to use your phone to ping, and it's not it doesn't have like these days when you connect with your data traffic and everything like that, so you can keep keep constant ping on on phone. So the phone records used to clear him is actually the landline calls uh, to his house. Who was the other party on the end of that phone? Nils was one of the people who called okay. him that night, and also his father claims that he thinks he called him that night. Oh, <laughs> okay. So the other witness is the one that says that's basically providing an alibi, and then his and then his own father is also one of the people that gives a half-ass alibi. 
is basically where we're at with that, right? Yeah, correct, <laughs> okay. correct. What did, since Suna survived, what did he have to say? Like, did he provide any kind of information or witness testimony? Because obviously the intruder was masked and they did a, a voice lineup. Is yeah. that right? Correct. So what does he, what did he have to say? What, uh, is there any statements that could lean more towards a suspect? He describes him the the mass killer, um, but he first of all he identifies him his voice to be Beckett's. Oh, which is okay. later on uh, changed because he could not pick him up out in in a voice lineup. So he initially pinpointed Bertil as the person who beat him and sure. said, "Where's the safe?" Correct. But then when the actual voice lineup came around, he couldn't identify the voice. Correct. He picked out a law enforcement officer. How soon after the crimes happened did Bertil get pinpointed by Suna as being the voice? Was it directly after the beating? Was it like a month later? It was Uh, the day they found him. It was the day they found him? Yeah. Okay, now how long after that was it that they uh, did the voice lineup? It, it was at least a couple of weeks later, yeah. Okay, so it, there was a few-week gap there between Suna actually identifying him, which was the day that they found him, and then a few weeks later they'd give him the voice lineup, and then he couldn't identify him. Correct, yeah. Why wouldn't the initial identification why wouldn't that be more credible? Yeah, that, that's one of the questions uh, in this case. I mean, basically, Nils told them that Kailina was 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 the one who committed the crime, and they they took that and ran with it from from day one. Huh. So basically, they had some tunnel vision on that one. Extreme, yeah. Okay. They, they didn't even. I when it, when when you look through the case file, it doesn't feel like they even tried that hard to, to tie Bechtel or, or even investigate Neil's story that much. They were just happy that they had Kailina's name and, and they did what they could too. Did the, did the local law enforcement have any kind of outside help with this? No, that's, that's also one funny thing in this case, that they, they turned down uh, offers from, from specialist murder units to, to assist them in the case. Why would a small local law enforcement refuse help from specialists that kind of is kind of weird to me i guess it is and and uh, what everybody says up there is that they wanted to prove to to everyone that they could solve this one one on their own <laughs> well i mean we all know how well that one worked <laughs> out <laughs> so, yeah that, that was a good call yeah. all right so i don't know man like i'm kind of wondering what bertil you know has going on here because he has no activity. He's got a weak alibi. I'm kind of wondering why he wouldn't be questioned more. It's just kind of weird to me, I guess. Looking at the crime, the the weapon was what, like a two by four piece of wood? Yeah, that was okay. picked up on the way to commit the crime. So basically, it was a last minute decision. Hey, you know, let's go do this. Is there any other evidence like outside besides the the footprints that were supposed to be, you know, a size 14 that were actually a size nine, which photocopied in metric a 48 and a 43. I could see how that could get messed up. Obviously, in, in English, you know, that's a pretty easy distinction to make between the two uh, numbers. But was there any kind of footprints anywhere else out there? Uh, there was one set of footprints uh, located on on the around the brother's house, and also footprints located from a viewpoint where the car was parked to the brother's house. Okay. And outside the car uh, that they found the largest car, there were two set of footprints. Both the guys being fifty-seven and fifty-nine years old, you know, they're a little bit older, but they're also some hardworking farmers. So it's pretty reasonable to believe that they got a little bit of toughness to them. 
I guess my question would be, were there any kind of defensive wounds on either one of them or anything like that? Suna, who was in bed when, when he, the killer surprised him, he mm-hmm. was also a handicapped from, from he had some sickness before. So he was not, uh, he was not in, in top shape, but, and he was surprised by the killer. So he did not have any defensive wounds at okay. all. Uh, Roger doesn't have defensive wounds, but it looks uh, when you when you go through the file, it looks like the killer caught him by surprise, and knocked him out, and later returned to to beat him again. Because the body is covered up. I think you noticed that when we looked through the case file as well. That the body was covered up in in some strange manners, and and remember the exact wording in the case file. Do you remember that from the crime scene? Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. And that was something that I found really weird, too. Like, they covered up the body, like, almost to hide it. But at the same time, you're in a rural area. You know, there's only two older guys out here. My, I guess my next question would be uh, the size. Even if you're caught by surprise, you know, unless you're initially, like, knocked out cold, you're probably going to put out a fight. but with a two by four, you're gonna probably assume that the person swinging that thing to knock out a grown man is gonna have to swing that thing pretty hard. So, any kind of suspect would probably have to be kind of tough. You know, with that, let's go back to to Kai Lena, which I've actually been pronouncing wrong like this whole time, and I just realized it. It's spelled like K A J, but it's actually pronounced Kai Lena. So yeah. I apologize to Kylina out here for, uh, you know, mispronouncing your name, dude. But he actually has some really weird kind of suspicious activities after the murder. Yeah, he has a trip to Europe where he's just kind of bouncing around a little bit. Is that right? Yeah, he, he travels to, to the UK and, and uh, then he goes on to, I think it's Ireland, and then he goes down to Holland. And this is this is right after the murders occurred? Yeah, the day after. <laughs> and this was actually a pre-planned trip, right? Yeah, it was. Okay. But the, the problem is that he is aware of the case. He's aware that the police is looking for him, and he, he does not want to go back. <laughs> Can't really blame the guy for that, you know? <laughs> but, no, so he stays abroad, and, and I mean... He thinks that if he just stays away for a while, they're going to find the actual killer. And then he doesn't have to be bothered with with everything. But on the other hand, that raises suspicion, like, you know, through the roof with with some other people. Yeah, and it's also held against him at at trial. And he was actually, I believe he was busted in an internet cafe, wasn't he? Somewhere, yeah. Yeah, he was. He, he was. Uh, yeah, he didn't want to return, and so they had to had to find him. Yeah, he was. He was uh, using in cafes and stuff like that to to look at at all the latest info on, on the crime. So maybe not the best thing. <laughs> Probably not the best idea, you know. But you know, I mean, it happens. I guess. I mean, I can't say it happens because it doesn't happen. But you know, everybody knows what I mean. I mean, if I was pinpointed and something like that and literally the only reason he was pinpointed was because his landlord said that the the pair of the pair of pants matched a pair that he had in the closet and they weren't in the closet anymore yeah and and also one of one of the reasons that he stayed away is that the the police actually just a few days into the investigation claimed that they had they knew who the killer was and it was him. So the police claimed that they knew who the killer was just a couple days after the crime occurred. Yeah. And they did it publicly. They were that sure of themselves. Oh yeah. They did it in the media. Oh, they announced it publicly even. Yeah. So that was one of the reasons. That's pretty interesting. I want to go back. (laughs) I wouldn't want to go back either. Nah, me neither. I wonder why, I wonder why the, why the law enforcement was so quick to nail him down and not really explore other avenues and actually dig into the other witnesses a lot more. I mean, we obviously know Nils 
testimony has changed several times. Yeah. So, I mean, that alone is suspicious, let alone this Bertil guy who has, I don't think he's been looked into enough personally because it's just weird to me that the first thing he does is deflect and then he provides a weak alibi, two phone calls, weak alibi. Yeah. And then he's just totally written off as, uh, as not involved. Like, I, and, and also one of the interesting thing is that he provides, he deflects and provides them with a name and Nils who kind of gives them the entire story. Yeah, and, and then and Nils that, is that's the also one. Weird. Yeah, because how does Bertil know that Nils is going to give them the full story? And that's what he, what he says to them. Yeah, about planning the heist and, you know, it was supposedly all planned out, but at the end of the day, law enforcement even goes back and they say, you know, even the murder weapon was a weapon of opportunity from a nearby sawmill. Yeah. So how close is this sawmill to the crime, the crime scene? It's like half a mile. Obviously, probably pretty cold up there this time, right? It is. And, and one of the things also is that you pass the sawmill when you go from the viewpoint where they park the car, uh, you pass the sawmill on the way to the brothers. There is no roads. You, you can you go on foot through like snowmobile tracks and stuff like that. So it's not an easy hike. Okay. So somebody, I don't know, theoretically could take a snowmobile or pop on a set of skis and just kind of get over there, you know, to the brother's home without traveling any kind of road if they parked at the sawmill or something of that nature, right? Yeah, they parked at the viewpoint, they passed the sawmill and then, then stick onto the brother's house. And you can go by snowmobile, but that makes a lot of noise, but you can go by skis, you can, yeah, no problem. Okay. It's that's that's, pretty it, it, It's a lot of snow up there and it was still a lot of snow when, when the crime was committed. Yeah, that's pretty pretty freaking interesting right there. And just because the the lack, I guess, of of footprints around the scene, I imagine you know, given you know any given day in the Midwest, it can snow one day and be fifty degrees the next, you know. But when you're in the Arctic Circle or real close to it, it's not necessarily like that. I can't speak for it because I've never been up that way, and I really don't want to probably go up that way because I don't like cold weather, but the the lack of evidence i guess is really really weird like almost like the person had had done something like this before yeah that's that's a kind of the feeling you get when you look through the the case file the case reports it doesn't feel like a first time offender no it looks yeah. like somebody has at least some knowledge on on how to to commit a crime without, without giving away too much evidence yeah now this small window that the person supposed, according to the police report, the person, the killer, climbed through this small window in the barn in order to get to Roger. You know, like I, I described the size of the window. It'd be a little bit bigger than like a basement window. We can, po- we can post it on your Instagram or, or Facebook. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. Because, yeah, that's a good idea. I will definitely do that. Yes, you uh, can use them for- since they're from the case file, you can use them. What size is Kylina? Is he is he a pretty big guy? Because there's a bigger guy's not going to fit through that window. Yeah, and so, that's uh, that's the thing. Also, why Lina was a person of interest that he's not a, he's not a big guy. He's okay. quite small. He doesn't he doesn't weigh a lot. He's he's not a big guy at all. Okay. Now, and this this window is small enough for the listeners out there. And like I said, I will post this on the Instagram, you know, at Mysterious Podcast. I'll post it on the Facebook page when I post the episode as well. The window is small enough that if a person crawls through it, they're falling on the inside head first. Like there's no turning around. You get your body in there. You can't even see out the window behind you. Like it is that small. That's that's kind of what makes it a little bit interesting that if they enter the window as the witness claims head first, you were going head first all the way. You cannot turn around. No, with the element of surprise, okay? Because I personally believe 
the height of the window above, there's like a little tiny shed that comes out underneath this window that you can like step onto and probably climb in the window. But my big thing is, how are you going to get the upper half of your body through a window this small? Like there had to have been somebody helping this person get into the window. It's just, it would be awkward to try to get into because from the crime scene photos, the guy that they have crawling through this window is probably anywhere from five foot 10 to six foot tall, you know, maybe five foot nine. And he would have had to probably jump a little bit, but it yeah. it's still awkward. So like for me personally, it's safe to assume that there's more than one person involved. Did Suna say anything about seeing a second person in there or was it just one person? Just a one person, and that's the that's the line of uh, investigation that's been going all along. That it was one single person who committed the crime. That just seems really, really odd to me. Yeah, it, it is a weird. The window is hard to to enter if you do it by yourself. No, no yeah. question about that. And uh, they, I mean, they managed to do it when they when they did the the crime scene investigation, but it wasn't easy. I don't think so. I guess that makes me wonder. Two questions. One, why wouldn't they go in one of the other doors or something to get into the barn? Uh, you know, like I said, the element of surprise, whatever. But the thing about it is, element of surprise wise, you've got a full grown man wiggling through a small window head first. Yeah. What are we doing here? You know, like that's that kind of defeats the whole purpose of the element of surprise. It does. I mean, the, the amount of time it takes for you to, to get to that window, I mean, you're, you're exposed for, for quite a while. And that, I mean, we do have a witness who claims to see the, the legs of the killer, killer entering the window. And they didn't, they didn't think that was weird? Yeah, they thought it was weird, but it was like 8 o'clock at night, so they didn't want to disturb the brothers by calling oh. them. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough, I, I guess. I really just... appreciated that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they did. And by this point in night, it's it's dark out, is it, isn't it? Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's not that dark. I mean, it's since it's uh, up in the no in the north, we the light stays quite long and the night. Uh, since we're in, since the crime was committed in the north of Sweden and in April, we the the daylight stays for quite a while actually. So I don't think it was that dark at all that night. I guess back to the car. Did, did they ever figure out anything about this car? Did they pinpoint it to any kind of one of the other two witnesses here? They did not, and but they had a, a long-reached theory that Kai actually switched cars on his way to commit the crime because the car he had access to was like a red Toyota, and they found a, a white car, and the witness pointed out a, a white car, so they worked with the theory that he stopped somewhere to switch cars but they couldn't so he, so he just yeah. picked up a random car on the way there yeah somehow he did yeah and uh, they didn't find anyone who had a car resembling that in 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 the area so he must have i don't know where he picked it up but it, and then he switched back to his red car when he when he went to to europe so that That's that cool. was a theory from from the police <laughs> so the uh the other two witnesses were excluded in this because they had no known associates that had any kind of white vehicles or if I'm going to be honest, I don't even think they looked that hard judging by the, the lack of investigation of the other two witnesses. I'd say they, they really didn't look too hard and I can't even, honestly, I can't even say the other two witnesses because Nils was put through the ringer. It looks like from, from the police reports and a lot of his testimonies, but I just, I wonder why this Bertil guy wasn't pressed harder. I, I wonder why he was just kind of initially questioned and then just absolutely excluded. They put Nils through the ringer, but Bertil is, they're just like, oh, okay, well, you have an alibi, you're good. You know, no yeah. big deal. I guess I don't understand that. Like in America, if I was in America, I would. Obviously, I'm not an investigator, but I look into these cases all the time. And the first thing that I think of when I see something like that is, who is this guy related to? You know, 
Who yeah. is he friends with to where the police absolutely disregard this guy? Because obviously the killer had knowledge of the safe. There's only so many people that have knowledge of the safe being in this house. The, the Suna, uh, the, the one brother who was, who was beaten and actually survived. He initially, the day he's found pinpoints Bertil as the guy in the mask you know, he says, yeah, it was this guy Bertil, man. Like he, I I could tell his voice. He came up to me in the mask. And even when you're wearing a mask, you can still see certain features, you know, of the face, you know, whether it be the mouth or the eyes or, or something like that. And then you you can see body. They totally disregard that because exactly. But then a a few weeks later, they, they give them, give them some, probably a crappy recording, you know, and they're yeah. like, whose voice was it? And he can't identify it. So they're like, oh, yeah, he's he's totally innocent, you know. Yeah. And it sucks because there's no fingerprints, there's no DNA, but you literally have a victim who gives in basically an eyewitness testimony right off the bat. Yeah. But Bertil is only questioned. He wasn't even arrested, was he? No, he was not. And that just does my mind. Yeah, and you have some internal problems within law enforcement up there. I mean, the lead investigator actually resigned from the case. Really? Yeah, because he wanted to, to interview Nils and Bertil's suspects, and that was never done, actually, by, by, his, by the police officers working for him. So they only interviewed him as a witness, and there was a lot of things going on within the department. So later on, he, he actually sued the, the department, and he won for bullying and and they kept him out of the loop they were working against him within his uh, own department so the lead investigator on this case saw nils and bertil as main suspects and they basically ignored him and how has nobody looked into this man (laughs) i mean they they did a great job on the podcast looking into everything but um i mean they were they were working with with the kailina angle and 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 um, I don't know. How, I mean, you never know how much research they did behind the scenes that never is uh, presented to to the listeners. I mean, they that's have true. Never that's true. So they probably looked into to everything, but presented to the listeners was basically the Kailina story, which is the one who was uh, the biggest storyline on on it yeah. because he was actually wrongfully convicted for. They were more concerned with getting a guy who was innocent out of prison, which is totally respectable oh yeah for sure you know i i absolutely respect that and it worked i mean they they worked i i actually saw um when i was doing a little bit of research what research i could do in uh in english you know there's there's a newsweek article about this which is absolutely awesome you know it's pretty uh, big news it was and and uh at least at the time it was the first first podcast ever to be entered into evidence. I don't know how it's been ever since, but at okay. the time, it was the first podcast in, in the world, I think it was, it was entered into evidence. Yeah. Was there anything else weird that happened with the investigation or law enforcement involving Bertil and Nils? There was a lot of things. Uh, I mean, <laughs> basically, they there was some people who complained that one of the officers was linked to Virgil's family. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that would go back to my statement a few minutes ago about uh, who does this guy know? You know, who's he friends with? Because Nils obviously was excluded because, like I said, he, he has, he's, his cell phone is pinged in use away from the crime you know, while it happened, yeah. you know, and the, the only thing that bothers me about him is why, why he is so quick when he's not around and he technically wasn't involved. Why is he so quick to throw all the blame on Kylina? Like yeah. that, that really bothers me. And then this Bertil guy, literally when the lead investigator wants to bring him and Nils in as main suspects, which Nils was obviously excluded. You know, he was 
you know, found to not be around the scene of the crime. You have both of these guys deflecting towards Kylina. And the lead investigator says, you know, this Bertil guy is probably a main suspect. And they totally disregard this to the point where the lead investigator resigns for bullying. Yep. He, he resigns and also resigns from, from the department. He resigns from the department completely. He was very clear also that he did not believe Kailina was the murderer from day one. Now, that, that brings back the question, who does this Bertil guy actually know? If it were me, an American case, and I know the, the legal system and stuff like that works a lot different in foreign countries, but me as a researcher, I would look literally for a connection between this Bertil guy and either the police department or in, in America, uh, somebody within the higher up, you know, yeah. even higher up than the police department, like uh, the prosecutor's office, like maybe he's friends with a judge, you know, maybe he's friends with, with a higher up politician, you know, like in yeah. America, it'd be like a mayor or a governor or something like that. Like yeah, nobody in, in Sweden be, between uh, the, the two different uh, types of, of law enforcement in, in Sweden, the prosecutor is actually in charge of the investigation. Oh, really? Oh yeah. So has there ever been any kind of connection established between Bertil and one, two or three prosecutors that were involved in this case? How many prosecutors yeah. were involved? Basically, it's it's one lead uh, prosecutor, and and they pretty much handle them their cases by themselves. So I would say maybe two, one or two. Has anybody tried to establish any kind of connection between Bertil and any of these higher ups, the prosecutors? There has never been any links made of publicly. No, but also, okay. I mean, it's it's a small town. I mean, exactly. small town area and. Most people know each other. I mean, from growing up there, I know basically like everybody. <laughs> At least you know them by name. I mean, so so it's not it's not a ludicrous idea that he might somehow be connected in in a way that nobody has found out so far. That just strikes me as as odd, man. It's kind of hard to distinguish yeah. between corruption and just incompetence. Exactly, exactly. That's a fine line right there, man. This one, especially like. The, the thing that makes me want to rule out incompetence, well, I mean, first of all, they had tunnel vision. We realize that. But the the incompetence being ruled out would be the initial lead investigator saying, hey, these two guys, if not this one, is probably a, a main suspect. Why don't we look into that? And what happens ends up happening. Now, when yeah. the prosecutor's in charge of the investigation, is he the one who says, stop looking into this case, or this guy is not a suspect, or whatever the case may be? Is that, is that his call? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, they work together with, law, with police, but when it comes down to it, it's up to the prosecutor who you will arrest, who you will treat as suspect, and who you will charge. I don't know, man. There's something going on there. It is. It's, 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 I mean, the entire case is just when you when you sit down, you read it. I mean, it's 1300 pages of confusion. I mean, I'm not that much wiser after reading the investigation than I was before. That's a fair statement, man, because what I read, like we were talking earlier, it's literally 20 pages talking about a cell phone call. Oh, yeah. It's like, just say he, he called and nobody answered. Like, we don't need 20 pages for this. <laughs> Yeah, you have like 80 pages of the pinging information on how to ping a phone, how it works and everything like that. So you have to read 80 pages of that. And then you have another 100 pages with just nonsense interrogations. And I mean, it's uh, you don't you don't anywhere find like any evidence that makes you believe that Kailina actually did it. And that's a fair statement. And I think it's I think it's absolutely awesome that uh, the podcast spar got his conviction overturned. I think that's crazy amazing. And you speak very highly of the, of the podcast and, and some of the other uh, Swedish people, you know, that I talk to on a regular basis do as well. 
which is which is pretty awesome because I'm a, I'm a weirdo about research and and apparently they they yeah they, they think do it's it to the level when it comes to true crime. I mean they they like like you mentioned before. I mean six or seven episodes a year, and they're still awesome. the most downloaded podcast in Sweden. I think so. I don't know if it were me personally, I'd I'd be looking in to something with this Bertil guy. Because there's there's something shady going on between him not getting quote not actually even brought in really for that much questioning. I mean, obviously he was questioned, but I mean the lack of vision on this guy. Like I'm I'm over here in America and I can I can see this, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. just it's pretty bad. It's pretty obvious, and I just don't understand why he at least wasn't put through the ringer like Nils was. Yeah, but that's also a funny thing. What happens is when Kai is actually granted a new trial, Nils is actually arrested for accessory to murder, and he is uh, detained by law enforcement for two days and then released and cleared. Simply amazing. Yeah, so and then he changed the story back to what it was before the interview in the podcast. I suppose that's convenient enough, you know? Two days in jail, and then he all of a sudden remembers again. Oh, how weird that works. But I bet you <laughs> bet you, old Bertil over here didn't even get a night in jail, did he? No, he did not, no. I don't know, man. There's some, Like I said, there's, there's something shady going on with that. And that's why I wanted to, I guess, present this case to the American listeners basically to to let you guys know that there's good unsolved cases out here in foreign countries as me and you talk up me and you talk literally all the all the time yeah and and we always talk about new podcasts <laughs> and when they're coming out and it's like i swear to god if i see another podcast do casey anthony again i'm gonna freak out and lose it man <laughs> like, yeah and it's like there are so many interesting cases. And when when I decided to do an episode about a, a Swedish case or something, something from Sweden, I stumbled across this. And after talking to you and looking into it, I was just like, man, this is just odd. It doesn't make much sense. And the Spurred Teal guy, is, he's got some connections somewhere. The entire case does not make any sense. And, and that's why I think it's, it is a good case to to talk about and, and to investigate further and, and also look into in, in any way, shape or form, because it should not be that hard to solve. That's, that's the funny thing. I mean, yeah. it's a small town. It, I mean, it shouldn't be that hard. Yeah. There's literally three, there's three perpetrators involved. One of them was excluded because of evidence and, and the cell phone. The other guy was in prison for 13 years, found innocent. His conviction was overturned. That leaves only one other person, man. Yeah, and, and I mean, it feels like pride got in, in the way for, for law enforcement, and they wanted to, to prove that we're just as good at solving crimes as, as the people in, in the South. Or <laughs> something like that. It's a stupid shit, you know? It just became a complete fuck up oh i'm sorry it just no you can say that yeah all right it got became a complete fuck up from from day one i mean they just they got tunnel vision and and i i think they were in in a hurry to to solve the solve the case and and they just went with any information they got and they didn't question the source of that information exactly and nobody collaborate his his story nils's story yeah exactly and then I mean, literally, law enforcement came out publicly, what, the next day or two days later and said, this is the guy who did it. Yeah, just a few days. I don't really remember exactly uh, which day, but it was... It was, it was within a week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like three, four days after. And when you read the sentence from, from, the, from the first court here in Sweden, I think that sums up the case perfectly. There's actually yeah. a sentence in the verdict where they claim that, yeah, we can rule out that Nils is actually lying to protect himself or others, but we're still going to find Lena guilty. That right there sums up this case to the T, man. 
Yeah. Like it doesn't matter who says what you can prove, whatever, we're still going to convict Kylina. And they did. They did. And, and he did get some, some financial compensation for, for his time. But I mean, that was like $2 million. So it doesn't, it doesn't uh, uh, make it make up for 13 years. No, it doesn't, man. No, it doesn't. Now, before we wrap up, when I was looking for cases over there, I did find one, and call me crazy, I know not many actual murders happen in Sweden, like, compared to the U.S. Like, we're pretty much the Wild West over here, man. I think and we have like 100 murders a year here in Sweden. So there's there was another murder that I stumbled across that I that I had sent you a link to. Oh yeah, yeah. Where the crime scene almost matches this one identically. And Correct. I found that really, really strange given the murders per capita in Sweden and the fact that the crime scenes almost mirrored each other. To the point where it was like, did the same guy do this or what? Can you maybe fill us in a little bit on the other one? It has been brought up in when you talk about the, the murders in Kalamark. It has been linked to another double murder in, who was committed in, in Sweden a few okay. years. Uh, they were a few years apart, but the crime scenes are almost identical to each other. Even with the tape and everything. That's the thing. They were taped in the exact same matter on both crime scenes. I wonder if either of these two witnesses over here can be linked or even put in the area of that crime scene as well. I think that would be interesting to look into as well. Yeah, they they have they have not found anything that links both cases to each other so far the other crime scene has dna though right it has and and it also has a conviction two polish guys who were handymans that was convicted of the murder now oh they were handyman so their dna probably would have been in the place Uh, yeah but it's uh they found a dna all over the place so they have been linked to that Crime, and they also been convicted of, of that crime, but they have not found any connection between them and Colomite. Let me let me ask you this much: even though supposedly there are two guys who were involved, you know whether whether they were or not. Obviously, judging by the investigative tactics of some of the the small town police in Sweden over here, you know I'm not giving that a hundred percent. What is the name of this other town? It's uh, also uh, a small part of, of uh, Sweden where it's called Longared. Okay, and that's that's another small town, right? Yeah. Basically okay, so, the, same, the same background as, as Kalamark, you know, farming communities, small okay. city, small town, yeah. Same demographic. Yeah. You know, very fair enough to say. And what are the percentages of these two crimes being two different people involved or two different parties involved. Yeah, I mean, there, there has been some research about it. When they appealed to Kailina's verdict, it's, they also included the percentages of people using tape, people using tape to bind hands or feet or both. And so forth, and it was like three percent. In three percent of all murder cases, is tape used the way? So there's less than a three percent chance of this being two different parties involved. Yeah, according to to statistics. Yeah, I wonder if this uh, Bertil guy was around that area at the time. I find this dude right here and the lack of investigation into this guy extremely troubling. Yeah, it could also be that one of the Polish guys was, was up north visiting. Nobody really has, has a clue on that right now. But huh. one of the interesting cases is one of the interesting things in the case is that there was also safe involved in this one. 
That's uh, pretty interesting. Oh, there's the safe involved? Yeah. Well, well, would you look at that? That's pretty interesting in itself as well. So it's been it's been debated. Some people seem to believe that the cases are linked, and some people seem to think that they're not linked, that it's just coincidence. I don't know. Uh, Less than a 3% chance, like in that. Same yeah, demographic. Same age same. on the victims as well. Yeah, and also one of the interesting things are that there were two different sizes of tape used. In, in Colomite, they had two different widths of the tape, and that was also occurring on the other case. Really? Yeah. And the tape was used in excess as well? Yeah, it's uh, pretty much identical. Uh, I mean, there is one guy who is, uh, has been is like the founder of profiling in Sweden. Uh, he looked at both both of the cases and he believes that there's some connection between the cases. He has been profiling all of the major crimes in, in Sweden for the last like 20 years. All right, man. Well, I think somebody needs to look into this Bertil guy a little bit more, I think, man. Yeah, and basically, I mean, it's hard now because there's so many years have gone by, but you should you should just start all over with the entire yeah. investigation is my feeling. Uh, yeah, because at the end of the day, yeah, we still have an unsolved crime here. You know? That's the thing. I mean, there's still somebody who lost their life and nobody has been held accountable for it. Yeah, and after, after Kylina got released, they just kind of were like, oh, sorry. Yeah, the thing is, I think, I believe, I think they still look at it as a solved crime, but there's, yeah, they seem to think that we had, we had the right guy, but we couldn't convict him, but it's still, it's not an active investigation today. Just also, I mean, if they turned it back into an active investigation, then they mm -hmm. actually have to confess that they messed up. Yeah. So that's, well, that's a big know. part of why it's not that active as an investigation at the moment. Yeah, no small town cop wants to admit that. No, probably not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, man. Well, I guess with all that behind us, um, I hope you had fun, dude. And it's always you know, fun talking to you, and always fun <laughs> looking into all of these true crime cases, and and always fun to find something that hasn't been uh, that well covered, at least in the U.S. and Sweden, been very well covered. But hell yeah, man. I'll be getting this episode out ASAP, and I, uh, I imagine I'll be talking to you soon enough, dude. Oh, for sure. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, have a good one, buddy.